This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex. It's so good to have you with us today. So we're right in the middle of a series called Like a Child, really asking the question through the Christmas narrative as God instructs us in Scripture, what can we learn about faith in this season? And I want to just kind of remind you of something that we have coming up. We do a special program every year at at Christmas called Vintage Christmas. It really kind of kicks off the Christmas series uh, in season. It happens on Thursday the 22nd and Friday the 23rd, both at 6 and 7.30 at Stony Mountain Winery. All right, we call it Vintage Christmas because our goal is before you get into the celebrations of Christmas and the traditions of Christmas, we want to take you back to the vintage of Christmas, right? What Christmas is all about. And so we have a communion service. It's acoustic worship and a really simple but powerful time before we get to experience the birth of Christ together and remember what God gave us during this season. Now, during that season, we also take up an offering. We do a Christmas offering every year. We're doing that at Vintage this year. Uh, all of that goes to the Legacy Fund, so we've been asking you to pray and just give Jesus a Christmas present. God's given us so much, and so we just ask that you pray about including Jesus in those that you are giving Christmas presents to. All of that money, 100%, will be uh, kind of funneled into our Legacy Fund, which is helping us prepare for the next stage. We know that we're close to outgrowing this facility, which is a wonderful problem to have. Now, you may be asking, well, how are we doing so far, right? What about tickets? Well, right now, Friday night is sold out, all right? Isn't that awesome, all right? We moved last week. We moved Sunday to Thursday, and so (laughs) Thursday night, right now, the 6 p.m. is sold out. The only tickets available right now are for 7.30 on Thursday night. That's a wonderful problem to have. You may be saying, why do we have tickets? Well, here's why we have tickets. We won't charge for this, but we want to guarantee that if you have a ticket, you have a seat. All right, if you come, doesn't mean that we won't be able to get you in. You just might have to stand in the back. But it also is a great way to invite people to come to you, come with you. Because we know statistically, if you invite somebody to come to church, some of you have been trying over and over and over again. I got friends they are lost. They need hope. They need reconciliation. I just want them to come with me because I want them to experience a life-giving church. And so you've been inviting and inviting and inviting. See, a ticket, you say, hey, I've got a ticket. Would you come with me? I've already got you one. We know statistically that a ticket increases the chances that they're going to come with you. All right, so it's a powerful evening. We want you to be there. Now, we're in this series because um, in Mark 10, there's this odd moment, all right, in the ministry of Jesus. It begins where people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked these people. It's as if parents were trying to have their babies dedicated, and the disciples all of a sudden step up and say, no, this activity, this is stupid. We need to cut this down immediately. And it's one of those things in our culture, we look at it and go, how in the world did that ever happen? Why was that happening? This doesn't make sense because we dedicate babies in church today, right? We have special services where we bring them in and we lay hands on them and we pray over them. And our whole church family uh, kind of affirms that. But in this day, when Jesus is around, children were not valued the way they were today. As a matter of fact, if a child was born with a birth defect, it was not uncommon for them to take the child outside the city and just leave it in this one particular place and wait for it to die. 
See, children were not valued as fully functional members of society until they had developed to a point where they could contribute. Until the simplicity of childhood had vanished. Jesus makes a profound statement in this moment. See, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. See, I think if we reject the childlike principles of God's kingdom, we'll never experience all that God has for us in this life. God's kingdom is simple. The principles of his kingdom are simple. And Jesus says, if you're not willing to receive these simple principles, there's no way that you can live to the fullness of life that I designed you to live. And so last week we began and we're going to spend every talk in this series looking at an attribute of God, a a kind of characteristic of his personality and a statement that attaches with it that we as childlike faith people can accept and believe. Last week we looked at the goodness of God and the simple statement that God is for you. If you weren't here, you're struggling with believing if God is good, I encourage you to go back and Listen to that talk. It's available online, vortexchurch.com, also on our mobile app. This week we're going to look at the presence of God, the statement that God is with us. Next week, the, the grace of God, that God forgives us. How many of you are so thankful God forgives us? I'm thankful. I'm thankful today, right? Just, I need it already, right? I don't know if anybody's with me. All right, and then at Vintage Christmas, we're going to look at the power of God and the simple statement that God can do anything. God can do anything. See, last week as we ended the talk, uh, referenced this moment in Scripture in Second Chronicles 32 where the king of Assyria is about to attack the forces of Israel. It's a moment where they're vastly outnumbered, and I read a verse from that moment where God is speaking to give the the kind of army of Israel, some courage. And he says to them, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the Lord, because of the king of Assyria. For with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And last week I pointed out that God is there because he is good. He is there to fight our battles for us. But I think maybe we have rushed past a simple reality that's in that verse. That God said, you don't have to be afraid or worried because I am with you. See, there are a few things that matter to a child, like the presence of their parents. You ever notice that? There's a few things that matter to kids, like the simple presence of their parents. Children can overcome obstacles that are significant simply because their parents are there holding their hands. Right? We, we've seen it, our kids facing their, their worst fear simply because their parent is right there with them. The presence of their parent has a powerful thing and unlocks something deep inside their hearts. I notice this with my kids. There is probably no moment in the day when presence matters maybe as much as it does at night. You ever notice that with your kids? Get into the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, they want you. See, we have some rules at our house. Right? You will begin every evening in your own bed. 
You will start out in your own bed. But how many of y'all know, even if you have that rule, doesn't always end up that way, does it? My daughter, she's so timid and such a rule follower. She never wanted to get out of bed. If she ever had something that happened, if she got scared in the middle of the night, she would just cry until we went to her. Then we had my son, Clay. And he is so different. <laughs> he is so different. Clay, we put Clay down. He just got potty trained this summer. And so he's just now living in the brand new freedom of getting able to get up in the middle of the night, go pee-pee in the potty. How many of y'all are thankful for going pee-pee in the potty? <laughs> like, that's a wonderful thing. All right. But it also means now he can get up and do whatever he wants to do in the middle of the night. So sometimes in the middle of my dreams, I'll just begin to sense the presence of God. I feel as if God's looking over me. I feel the breath of the Spirit of God on me. It's as if God is in the room with me, and then I wake up and it's clay right in front of me just looking at me, sucking his thumb, holding his blankie. What the heck are you doing? How long have you, for how long have you been there? been there for like 10 minutes or an hour what's going on and I don't know if it's just some nights he wakes up and he's frustrated and he wants to take it out on us or some nights he's scared and he just wants to be close but there's something about the middle of the night he wants to be with us and it got me thinking I mean at Christmas Christmas is this bold reality that God would come to be with us. That Jesus would lay aside deity and rights and privilege and be born into the fragile state of humanity. That he would come to earth. I mean, that's really the core message of Christmas. That God is with us. But the problem is, is that we don't live like God is with us. I mean, far too many of us are what I would term as a Christian atheist. Last week I said that oftentimes we'll confess that we believe in God and we'll say that it's real and that Jesus is real and all of it. We believe it, but we live as if all of life depended on us. Because that's not what a Christian does. That's not the way God wants us to live. But I think sometimes we'll say God is real. He's good. But we'll live as if the presence of God is not with us at every moment. I mean, we say there's a God, but far too often we live as if he's not here. So it got me thinking this week, what, what if? What if we lived as if God was with us literally every moment of every day? Just ask yourself this question right now, would I live differently? Would I make different decisions? Would I watch that, click on that, if I knew that God was with me? So what I want to do today is I want to do one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to take you through a, a story and passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's a story of a young man named Joseph, and it's one in the Old Testament where it's remarkably clear that God was with Joseph. Now, if you don't know the background of this story, Joseph is the youngest son of Jacob. Jacob is kind of the last person that we mention in the lineage of grace, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? And he's the last son. The Bible tells us that he was born when Jacob was very old, and he was apparently the favorite. Now, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, right? I've often said that if you parent well and you have many kids, that 
what happens is that each kid actually feels like they're the favorite even though they're not. All right? But that's not the way it was in this family. He was noticeably the favorite. I don't know if it was one of those situations where like every time he went to Lowe's, he just picked Jake. All right, come on. Jacob would say, hey, Joseph, you're going to go with me. Forget y'all. Every time he stopped by McDonald's, you know, to pick up dinner for the family, right, he'd pick up dinner, but he'd get Joseph a milkshake to drink on the way home. Or it's so bad that eventually he's going to pick Joseph out and take him to J. Crew, buy him a new wardrobe, bring him home, put him in front of the rest of the kids. Look at all these nice clothes I got for your brother. So there's this constant tension in his family that it appears that he is loved a lot more than everyone else. And so when he's 17, he has this vision, this dream, that all of his brothers are going to come and bow down to him in worship, and he's going to lead them. Now we're going to find out later that Joseph is pretty attractive. But we learn a principle that's maybe true in all of life, that it's really difficult to be both smart and pretty. All right? Because <laughs> he tells his brothers, hey, you know what? I had this vision. I had this dream. Y'all going to come and bow down and worship me. I know I'm the youngest. I know none of y'all like me at all. But that's what's going to happen. And eventually, this tension rubs and, and they, they beat him, right? Which I understand brothers do that, right? We've got some brothers in the room. Y'all fight. But they do something even worse than that. They beat him, sell him into slavery, and lie to the father and say he was murdered. So Joseph is sold into slavery. And we see this first principle emerge. How would I live if I knew that God was with me in every moment? The first thing is that I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid. In Genesis 39, we see the story that begins to emerge after Joseph has been sold into slavery. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And look at this. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I just want to stop and just ask, how can it be that he's now enslaved? How can it be that he has been drugged out of a country, been sold to a, a polygamist, been sold to a, a man who is, is obviously a, a worshiper of false gods? He is now out of his cultural comfort zone. And he's been abused by his family. But he prospered. How does that happen? I can tell you right now, the only way that happens is the presence of God. And there was something unique in the presence of God that it did in the heart of Joseph. That he was confident. He was confident in the fact that God was with him. How would it change your confidence in your circumstance right now, if you lived with the ever-present reality that God was with you. It reminded me of a verse that I need to pray over my son. Look at this, Psalm 3, 
verses 5 and 7. I lie down and I sleep. I'm going to pray that over clay every day. I lie, and you do not lay down and then get back up and go potty five times. You do not lay down and get up and come argue with me about bedtime. No, you lie down and you sleep. But that's my problem. That's not yours. That's not what this talk's all about. I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Look at this. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. See, when we finally realize that God is with us, we will no longer be paralyzed by fear. We will no longer be paralyzed by fear. And so many of us... Know that there are things that God has called you to. There are realities that God wants you to step into. Things that levels of comfort and peace. But because of this perception that, that God is not here and I cannot be confident in where I'm at. I, I'm, I'm afraid and fearful and worried about the future. No, when we finally realize that the God of the universe that is good and for you is with you, we will not be afraid or paralyzed by fear. You see, we start to see something emerge in the life of Joseph that is profound. As he's now taken into the house of Potiphar and he begins to work in front of Potiphar, we find out that if God is with us, if I am living with the reality that God is with me, I will do my part. I will do my part. Look at this. Genesis 39, verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And if you've got a, a paper Bible underline, he did. If you're looking on your Bible app, highlight that everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his, to his care everything he owned. You see, Joseph, once he's given this opportunity to begin to serve in the house of Potiphar, he doesn't just have confidence, God is here with me, God's going to take care of me, God's going to rescue me, he's going to get me out of here. No, he makes the most of the situation that he's in at that time. As a matter of fact, he gets to work. And everything he does, everything he sets his mind to do, every time he begins an endeavor, God blesses it. And Potiphar's sitting back going, every time Joseph does something, it's just blowing up. It's perfect. It's amazing. He just takes care of this. He takes care of this. I'm going to raise him up, continues to raise him up until he's in charge of his entire house. See, I think that sometimes... We spend too much time asking God to do something for us when he's just waiting on us to get active and do something that he can bless. <coughs> some of you have been praying, God, I need some money. I need to, got to pay a bill. God, just, could you, could you bless me? And I just open up and, and find a check in the mailbox. God, could you just bless me? And God's saying, no, get up off your butt, go get a job, and I'm going to bless you when you work hard. Some of us have been saying, God, could you bless my marriage? God, it's just a struggle today. It's a struggle. God, could you bless us? God, just help me with my spouse. God, could you bless my marriage? And God's saying, I want to bless your marriage. Would you please start doing something I can bless? 
Start loving Him the right way. Start serving her the right way. Because the truth is, God can't bless your prayers. God can only bless what you do. See, it wasn't enough for Joseph just to be confident and unafraid. He had to act. And he was willing to do it. Isn't that what we teach our kids? Y'all come in, you got toys everywhere, what you do? All right, everybody, it's time to clean up, right? Clean up, clean up, clean up. Everybody everywhere, clean up, clean up. Everybody. Y'all hate me right now, right? It's Barney, it's torment from hell for parents. Right? I know. But that's what we teach our kids because that's responsible. Do your part. And as we're praying over our Christmas offering, I've been praying this verse over you, Deuteronomy 15. Look at how this principle extends to generosity in Scripture. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, because you gave generously, because you were willing to sacrifice and give, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to do. You see, it is the action that God can Blessing. Some of you today are here and the truth is, is that you feel a little stuck in life. And you're asking the question, God, what are you doing in my life right now? God, I, I have this vision that I'm going to be this one day, but I'm not there. God, I know that you want to do more than this. I know that. Can I just encourage you with something? Get active. Learn the lesson in the season that you're in. Do what God has put in front of you. Because eventually Joseph is going to become the second in charge in all of Egypt. Really, literally the second most powerful in the known world at that point. You know what his job is? To ration a food supply so that it will last during three years of famine. Do you know how he would understand how much food a single family would use? Because he learned it in this moment. When he was serving in the house of Potiphar, managing his affairs. You see, God was training him so that later, through him, God could reign. Right now, if you feel stuck, odds are that God is training you. So that you can reign through him later. So when we realize that God is with us, our faith will become action. Our faith will become action. Now it begins to translate a little bit for this moment in, in Joseph's life. Something happens as he is a very good looking man. He's probably on a paleo diet. All right. <laughs> He's probably a CrossFitter, one of those guys. All right, the Bible describes him as being very rugged and handsome. And the wife of Potiphar takes notice of him, and really she wants him. This was not uncommon in their system. All right, this was not an uncommon thing. But because he is serving God, he has a system and an ethic that will not allow him to step over that line. And so as she pursues him, he rejects her, and eventually she's going to accuse him of some things that were not true. And so look what happened. In verse 
20, we find that Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison. But look at this. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he held in prison. See, I think sometimes we get in this foolish mindset that we think if I do something good, something good is going to happen to me. Can I just go ahead and tell you that that's not the gospel. That's called karma. In the Bible, the Bible in the message of the gospel is actually opposite of karma. Karmas do good things and good things will happen to you. But think about the life of Jesus. Jesus did it perfectly. And how did it end for him? All the bad in all the world, the sin of all humanity was poured out on him. And he died a death that we should all have died. And so what does the gospel say? The gospel says that all of us were bad. All of us blew it. And because of this great act, this selfless, sacrificial act, we now get something that we don't deserve, which is redemption and reconciliation to God and eternity with him. See, if karma's real, Jesus is just a joke. You see that in this moment with Joseph. He's done it all right. He's been perfect. Maybe not the smartest kid in the whole crew, but he's done it well. He's lived with integrity, and now he's in prison. And there's something that is so unique about him. See, Joseph always seems to be looking around to find people that he can serve and help and that, that he can find a way, not because he's looking for influence or help, but just because he wants to be the person that he should be. And in that, we see the third thing, that if I know that God is with me, I'll be nice to everyone. If I know that God is with me, I'll be nice to everyone. See, far too often, we're nice to the people, kind to the people, loving to the people that can help us. People who can do something for us. Sometimes we use excuses. We call it networking. But that's not at all who Joseph was. It's not at all who Joseph was. As a matter of fact, Joseph seems to be the person who always finds that person that was around him in need. And we see that happen in Genesis 40 in verse 6 and 8, where several people who worked in close association with Pharaoh are now have been kicked out of the court of Pharaoh and are now in prison. We, we know that there's significant charges. These are men that you would likely not want to be associated with. But look what happens beginning in verse 6 when Joseph came up. The next morning, he saw how they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, the baker and the cupbearer, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? So tell me your dreams. They began to tell him their dreams. And as the cupbearer told him about his dreams, he said, oh, it's great news, great news. In a couple of days, Pharaoh's going to throw a party. He's going to need your help again. He's going to get you out of prison. He's going to bring you back in. He's going to reinstate you. And you're going to work in the, the court of Pharaoh. The baker tells him his dream. He goes, dude, bad news. Apparently, Pharaoh is going low carb, all right? Because three days is going to be the end of you, all right? 
And both of those come true. And in just a few days, the cupbearer is taken out and is installed again into the court of Pharaoh. And we see this principle that when we realize that God is with us, we will treat everyone like they're important. So it's going to happen a few weeks, a few months, but it happens at an extended period after this moment. Pharaoh has a dream that he cannot interpret. Nobody can interpret. Nobody can tell him what's going on. So Pharaoh has this dream, and he begins to explain it. The cupbearer finally remembers Joseph, who's still in prison. And he goes, you know what? I know who can interpret this dream. I met a guy in prison. His name's Joseph. He actually told me about a dream. He actually told me through the dream that I was going to come back and work for you. I bet he can interpret the dream. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph, has him brought out of prison. He's standing before the most powerful man, viewed actually in their culture as a god. He tells him, I've had a dream. Can you interpret it for me? And in verse 40, in Genesis 41, 16, Joseph replies to Pharaoh and says, I cannot do it. That moment reminds me of a moment of in the, in the life of my friend, Ron Smart. Ron is one of the only men that's walking free today who at one time served time on death row. In the late 60s and early 70s, Ron worked with organized crime as a safe cracker. Up and down the East Coast, he would go in on jobs where he was hired and crack a safe and go in and they would steal and run. And he eventually was cornered in the early 70s by the police and in an attempt to get out as he was firing shots, he hit an officer. The officer died from the wound that he suffered. In his trial, Smart was indignant, irreverent, and was sentenced to death. As he went into prison, he degenerated even more. He became a drug kingpin inside a prison, pushing heroin and cocaine. Until one day, he met Jesus. He gave his life to him, and God began to move in his heart. And year after year, God began to transform Ron Smart's life. Ron was awarded a new trial in the 80s, and his sentence was changed from a death sentence to a life in prison with a chance of parole when he turned about 70. The first few times he appeared before a parole board, it was obvious that he wasn't going to get out. But when he was 72 years old, standing in front of a parole board, the lady who was running the board looked at him and said, Miss, Mr. Smart, before we get started today, I have a question for you. Do you think that you deserve parole? He said, I, I thought to myself in that moment, this is a test. God's testing me right now. Because I could say, yes, I've been rehabilitated. My life has been changed. God has done so much in me. Look at how different I am than I was years and years ago when I was a kid. But he looked at her and he said, no, ma'am. I don't deserve it. 
what I deserve is death. I, I, I couldn't earn this. As a matter of fact, what I did was so heinous and hideous. I, I deserve to stay in this place. But I promise you, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to spend the rest of my life telling people about the Jesus that rescued me. That humility in that answer. No, I don't deserve it. And Ron was paroled. And to this day, just about every Sunday, he's in some small church somewhere telling his story. See, in that moment, Joseph could have stood before Pharaoh and said, I've done it before. I've interpreted dreams. I know that I have that skill set. I can do it. But he didn't. And we learned one last important thing that when I realize that God is with me, I will ask for help. Joseph does that. In Genesis 41, verse 16, it goes this way. Pharaoh asked him, can you interpret this dream? And he says, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And as Pharaoh shares the dream, Joseph interpreted, there's going to be three years of plenty and then three years of famine. Pharaoh says, I want you to be the person that's going to help us. As a matter of fact, look at what he says in verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. See, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're going through. That's telling you that God is not with you. I don't know the predicament that has rendered the evidence to you that says that God is not with you right now. But I want you to understand that no matter where you are, God is with you. And because he is with you, you don't have to be afraid. Because he is with you, you can have confidence to stand up and let your faith become what you do. You can find value in the people that God has put in your life. And ultimately, when we realize that God is with us, we can turn to Him and say, God, I know where my strength ends and I know where yours needs to start. I need your help. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.